Welcome to Delicious Revolution, a show about food, culture, and place. I'm Chelsea Wills. In this fifth season, we're speaking with visionary chefs, gardeners, farmers, organizers, artists, and scientists about migrations of all kinds. We'll hear about food and the experience of leaving home and in finding new ones, of decolonizing food traditions and tracing recipes through the movements of diaspora. Delicious Revolution is made by Devin Sampson and Chelsea Wills. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can find all of our episodes along with pictures and more on the website deliciousrevolutionshow.com. Aihan Aiden is a meal ecologist. His interdisciplinary practice consists of projects that consider art, science, and food. He is interested in creating stories through meals and challenging the idea of what a meal is. As a cook, he likes to take ordinary food items and create something unexpected but still familiar. He's one of the founders of Nordic Food Development, a company that creates new food products from Nordic ingredients, applying various culinary traditions to existing foods in order to utilize and repurpose them. His artistic work includes collaborations with Open Restaurant, a theater play, called The Restaurant Rite of Commons, featuring a meal as a central part of the story, and several conceptual dinners. In this episode, Ihan talked with Devin about making tempeh from Swedish fava beans, what it means to create something new from very old food traditions, and drawing on the richness of many immigrant food traditions. Let's see. So... Tell me about Nordic food development and what is it? It's my small company I have with a friend. The idea was when I was going to school, to university, and when I was studying meal ecology and just the end of the education just came up with, I did some things at school. I did some deep fried split peas. I made a sauce. I did a bunch of things that people really liked. And the split piece was like a hit. So I was thinking, and I was like, shouldn't I start to produce food? I can do products. I can produce produce stuff before. Right. In the same way as, you know, DIY culture, like people did their small record labels or whatnot. I was thinking that I could do the same, but with food. You can have these small independent or indie-like food uh, companies. It's hard, though, but it's hard to have everything that's independent. Oh, right. So, right. yeah. I was just thinking, going this kind of DIY punk hardcore culture where I come from and just do it into food. So we had this idea with split peas. We didn't have all the money. Then I made a sauce. Never thought of that sauce as a awesome sauce. Then people started to uh, try it. We had it for a, a project for a theater play in the summer of uh, 2013. There's a free uh, theater thing in Stockholm. It's the city theater we have in the parks. And one of the projects this year was with, with a artist uh, duo who made a uh, project about the commons we have here in Sweden in the nature. So we used that sauce and from there people kind of liked it and were like, yeah, we should do. We start with this because it's very easy and simple and 
see where it heads. And it's been a way to experiment on how to create a food product. Because my angle on this is that to use the area where we at, like we live in Sweden, try to use so much pot things that grows here, but to use uh, culture and knowledge from elsewhere and combine them in, in some ways. And some things, the sauce is very much just a mashup of two existing products. So that was like very much of how I did music for like 20 years, like sampling. I just took things and mashed them together, added some stuff, then I had a, a track. So we did the song in the same way. We took soy sauce, and then we took a distilled vinegar and added some things in the vinegar and just mashed them together, made this sauce. I come from, my food culture is really strong for my family and my mom's a chef. And in Turkey, people eat lots of uh, nuts and they use chickpeas a lot. And, well, and the split peas in Sweden is very kind of similar to it. So I was, yeah, why can't I do a similar thing as people do in Turkey or Middle East with the split peas? So I just took the split peas, boiled them in a way the industry boils because the split peas easily break. But I found a way that people do in the industry, but I could do it myself. So just cook them and boil them. Then we would cook them and we deep fry them. And we came up with this awesome snack. And then I started to have contact with producers and tried a certain pea. And that was like super great. But we didn't have the money then. So that project is kind of on hold. But that is very much of me taking the culture, my personal culture, uh, my family's history and whatnot, and, and taking like ideas and knowledge from science and the industry and see what we have in Sweden, produce-wise, and try to figure out to do a, a product. And the same thing has been with a recent project I had with a farmer. We did tempeh from her fava beans. And the fava beans is the ones they use for feed is not often eaten here. And in all the world, people eat lots of fava beans. And my friend Erika, she was told from other farmers that you can't eat uh, these peas, uh, these beans. Then I was like, yes, you can. People just eat so lots of in Egypt or like lots of places in the world. So, and it's, and it's easy to produce here in Sweden, has high protein, very delicious as, and the one they use for feed is more complex in its, uh, sweet notes and has really awesome nuttiness. Uh, it's very similar to, it's very chestnutty in a way. Huh. So we just came up with the idea to take tempeh. Tempeh is so easy to make. It's, it's an easy protein product. Uh, that you can basically do yourself. Then we took these beans, and in Sweden right now, it's a huge discussion about turning to eat more uh, plant-based proteins. And what we, because she comes from craft and small, uh, she's not small scale, but for a, a smaller uh, farmer, and then I'm coming from 
like trying to mix both craft and industry thinking. We were like, yeah, but lots of the proteins we eat today that's so plant-based, they're very from the industry and have industry taste note. They don't have deliciousness as a primary idea. And our, our idea was to make a delicious protein product. And tempeh has been going on for decades, for <laughs> centuries. And lots of people try it, like it. And the ones that we made is quite different from the other piece people usually do because they're much denser and this is more fluffy, more and kind of spacious in a way. It's very fluffy because the way the beans are, they're porous. And when you do the temp, it becomes more porous and it's not that dense, but it can easily be added like taste through fat and stuff. Right. Yeah. Wow. Man, I, I got to taste it sometime. Yeah. So that's because I kind of always like tempeh. People don't eat it here and started to introduce even to my friends who are vegans. And they were like, oh, shit, this is good. And lots of friends who are not vegans or vegetarians who just like a deliciousness. One guy was like, this is the greatest thing I ate 2016. <laughs> wow. Wow. And he, he is really good at food and he works with a food company and it was like this is good and i think often that's been my kind of idea with with nordic food development to take old ideas that's good and just keep going with them and just try to develop them because you can always develop food food is always constant development or at least food culture is because every time if you're not doing industry-wise it's always going to be a small change in it, whatever you do. You can be a super skilled chef or you have, you're always doing small adjustments. It's going to maybe have a, a small window there you're working, but it's always going to be some kind of adjustments and you want to adjust it a little bit more to develop that dish. Sure. Then you maybe start to do a new dish. And the thing is to just keep it, that same dish like very similar. That's hard then you need to be really skilled. Right. So you're fermenting tempeh from this Japanese process. Um, baby, from baby. Indonesian. Indonesian process, yeah, excuse me. And um, yeah, I, was, I just interviewed Sander Katz, the fermentation guru of America. <laughs> and yeah, he corrected me too. Or I guess he's kind of well-known outside. Um, but wow. So, but can you describe just how, well, where do you make it? How much are you making and, and where are you doing it? And this problem right now is I don't have anywhere to produce it, but I have uh, customers. So I have a setup with a, with a proofer, like a normal bread proofer. Sure. Using that one. And because it's easy to work and creating a good, uh, room and atmosphere for the tempeh because it needs moist and it needs air. So right now I'm doing it at home, like in test spaces and sell just a few people, but I don't sell like in a larger scale because I don't have the permits and whatnot. But the thing is I need to <laughs> try to figure out how, where I can produce it and produce it in a, in a larger scale because I have, I have customers already. That's been kind of the interesting. Sure. The people like mailing and asking when you're going to sell and waiting for it. And they're <laughs> curious. 
No, we got it. We get uh, we got some attention, and so yeah. Yeah, cool. I guess about that is that I like that you attribute a lot of like what you're doing to punk and DIY culture and stuff. I think about that a lot. Or Chelsea and I both talk about that about a lot of these projects. We learned how to make things happen a lot through, you know, making a punk band work and making zines when we were younger. Um, yeah. Was music and punk culture, did that come before your interest in cooking and food? In of sorts. It's, I come from a uh, cooking family. Okay. So it's always been lots of food, but I was always thinking I would never work in a restaurant i would never work with food because it's so heavy i see my mom work with food all my lots of relatives been working with food and i was like oh shit i'm not gonna work with food i'm gonna do like more i wanted to be a, a photographer so i was just going a different direction then i became vegan okay and straight edge and through that I really started to get the interest of food. And that made me, to become a vegan made me interested in food from my, made it my own, not taking from my family. It just, the veganism made me really interested in, the, in food. And then I started to connect back to my family. But the, the whole thing with straight edge and, and veganism was really important in a personal development as a foodie i guess uh -huh. so in sorts it started to in the same time right for me at least and then i started to do music i always done more electronic music but yeah in the same kind of way but yeah cool and and your childhood was in turkey is that right no in a small city of west coast sweden oh in a small okay but your family's turkish yeah. And that's the, that's the food environment they grew up in. Yeah. Um, there's this big palette of uh, ingredients and flavors and processes that you draw on to make foods. And it kind of gets propelled into the idea of creating new ones. Yeah. Um, now, are you still a vegan? No. No. But I... The thing was, something happened some years back. Uh-huh. Because... I eat lots of uh, plants and I eat lots of plant-based proteins and whatnot. Right. And I eat meat as well, but I, I kind of like to eat them at the same time. And when I was going to restaurants, I was people, they, they have this menu and this like, you have this small notice that says vegetarian or vegan. And I was like, what the hell? I want to eat some delicious plant-based food sometimes. Right. And no one just do this awesome dish with whatever they could use like chickpeas and doing in a very interesting new creative culinary way but people don't and i was like yeah people don't i can do it <laughs> so i started to do a lots of vegan more than vegan cooking that's influenced in for my kind of personal perspective of what i like so i just started to work a lot of with uh, vegan food because it's nice and easy when I do projects because everybody can eat vegan if they don't have attitude <laughs> and 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 I have lots of friends who are still vegetarians and my partner she's vegan and it's 
it's fun to uh, to just make delicious food for people who are not used to getting delicious food. Right. I do it for me. It's not about to work making a vegan dish. Is I'm making a dish I want to eat, right? And I crave. Sometimes I, I I have favorite things that are plants. I, I think lots of chefs or people cooking is like they always have favorite things that's like exclusively animals. It's like they really want to say they like foie gras and. And I think there's so much other stuff that's nice that's uh, vegetables and not these expensive things as truffles or truffle. I kind of like truffles as well, but it's there are other stuff that is so insanely delicious that people forget because we have this idea of dining and meat being like like the golden calf in a uh-huh. way. Yeah. So we we just aim for the animal protein, like the center of the culinary idea, I guess. And I think it's boring. And I want for me to work with vegan food has been more to just let loose of boundaries and just trying to figure out how to create my way of cooking. And for me, it's been very much about going down to really basics and uh, using it's very much a, how I create m- music. It's like it should be much of using all the basic tastes, all the frequencies, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And you should have the umami, you should have the bitter and whatnot. And some things, you know, if you're drawn to more kind of bass-driven music, it's going to be lots of bass or it's more acoustic, it's different kind of balance. But oh, you always need the balance. And for me... The texture is so important for all of us. We, we eat lots with the texture. So I started to work with textures a lot. It started similar in the same time as I started to cook a lot of vegan food. And I was thinking of when I create a dish, it should be, have this idea, it should be three different textures in some way. They can be different from each other or it can be similar to each other. You can have different kind of chewiness. Or you have like crispy and uh, smooth and chewy things and whatnot. But in the same way as doing, you know, culture, as people did punk music or people did this idea of creating whatever when it comes to culture and art. or And I just took what I've been doing for the last 20 years and just trying to figure out to create that in, in food. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah, that does make sense. And um, it really it strikes me a lot how you talk about cooking the way, uh, you know, as an art practice. Yeah. So it's like you have one foot in cooking world and one foot in the art world. But the way that you talk about it, it seems like very harmoniously the same thing, the same kind of practice for you. I mean, I, I know that you see cooking as a creative practice. Is that something that you consciously chose or did that always just make sense to you? It makes sense to me. And I, and I started to kind of, I was trying to figure out the way that was my cooking and my practice. So for me, it's been really good to use this artistic way and the science together. And I think when people say that chefs are like artists or I never understood really what that meant because I didn't see any artistness in 
the cook in the food making. And so when, when people just do a plate, oh, you should eat with your eyes and, and stuff. And, and I just saw like expensive uh, produce and I didn't see like creative plates being made. They're just copying each other in time to time and they often pretty boring. I, I, there are, of course, there are people who has this really their personal. No, not everyone should have like their way, but and I I copy a lot. Uh, but I think there are more people who should just try to make a plate that they are theirs in 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 like an aesthetic aspect more than it's the way people think that a plate should should look like. People just do how a plate should look like more than how they wanted it to be presented. I think there, there are chefs and this really have this more art practice as well. But I think that the cooking is very much of a craftsmanship and these old school people and people went to like more France, if a French cooking, they develop a very similar way on approaching that's more craftsmanship than artistic and i had that before i went to university and and just start to learn more stuff and then i was more intrigued to work because i always been working artistically and food is very much its culture and it's it's a way to do things so it's like i can do a art i can do a practice from the skills i have and it's artistic. And I see very few people though who work in that way. I don't know if I make any sense here. But no, yeah. that, no, that's exactly what I meant. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Also, I had you call yourself a meal ecologist, which I love, but I wanted to ask you what that means to you exactly. It's, it's in the university I, I went to, they made a new program some years back called meal ecology or they call it culinary arts and ecology nowadays I think in English but in Sweden it's multi-psycholog just badly translated to meal ecology but it's 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 no but it's what it is but it's, because in Sweden we created something called meal science it's in Swedish it's different but because they uh, talk about the craftsmanship a lot as well and they don't want to use the word science then they started this uh, program that they have uh, the half of the time you go to environmental science institution and the other is you go to a restaurant uh, college. Uh, so you learn like very natural science in one part and then you learn the whole meal aspect in one part. So that's, that's basically what that education is. Huh. Uh, to, to be a really generalist, the, to connect both what's going on in the soil to how and what what different crops have for different qualities in 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 the, in the way of of uh, growing them and eating them and how they work when they when they are a product what you can do with them how you can cook them and how that are connected to each other both like in the in the stove and in the soil so we learn how all the way from that kind of small things, how they interconnect, but also the big scale in form of how 
how we eat together, the whole uh, social anthropology and the environmental issues and so on. Right. No, I mean, I think I like that term meal ecology because um, I'm, I'm trained as an ecologist also. And uh, there's this sense that in ecology that you can really closely observe the parts of an ecosystem and you can try to think functionally about how they all fit together. But there's also this uh, aspect of it, always knowing that it's not, you're never going to fully get what's happening. You can kind of pull on the threads and you can theorize about the systems, but the complexity is so great that you always know there's some unpredictability in it. That makes a little, that's also a lot how it feels to cook something new. Yeah. And I think, what you described is very much the, the, the description of uh, food culture. Huh. Um, it's very, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a system and it's small habitats just <laughs> interconnecting. And you have these individuals who going from different habitats and it's pulling and interacting with each other as a ecosystem can do. And some parts is not important to each other. But some are, and some doesn't need it. But in the whole scale, they need each other. Right. Yeah. I guess a lot of what your work does it, it puts into question, or like it plays on this idea of traditional foods in some way, and um, making something like a tempeh out of fava beans. It makes it harder to imagine that there's something we could purely call traditional food, because as, as you pull back on that thread, you see that there's been innovation and change going on all the time in making fermented foods like tempeh um, as they move across the world. Yeah. So, I mean, I know you think about that. I've, the, there's a lot of interest, it seems like, in traditional foods. And I'm just intrigued by the way that you, you make sure that those aren't just, that's not just a simple, trite thing. Yeah. So... Uh, so, <laughs> the question? question: Have you ever thought, like, man, I really want to get back to traditional foods, and then felt like that leads somewhere more interesting than you originally thought? I think I'm kind of I'm always I'm always connected to the tradition. Right. The thing is, I see it. If you go to, to jazz music, I think that's the best way to kind of explain what I'm doing, because. You had these guys, Don Cherry and Onet Coleman, coming from, from the south, and they did this really insane jazz. It was just free form. But when you listen to it, you hear the blues. You hear the tradition kind of well. You hear where they come from. And, and Miles Davis and all those old jazz Legends, they were come from kind of tradition. Okay, he was from a middle class, but and then people were uh, musicians. But anyways, music-wise, they they learned the whole the way, and you hear the, the in some things you hear the blues a lot, and some things you don't. But I think when it comes to my cooking, I'm I'm rooted very much in like two traditions, like the Anatolian, the Turkish, and the Swedish. But it's sort to have this more, more than like new Nordic. And then in the new Nordic, they were really trying to connect back to the, to the produce we had in Europe, in the Northern Europe, rather than see what they had elsewhere. This was delicious, was more what do we have that's delicious. So I think my food is always 
is based very much on tradition in some regards and lots of ideas I, I, I take from there, but I maybe apply them more scientifically sometimes, but it's without the tradition of, without the kind of science and the more intellectual part of it and, and the artistic way, I couldn't do the things I'm doing, but it's quite important. But traditional food, I don't know what it is actually really. No, it's, it's what you said. Uh, food is always developing. Right. I think if you take jazz, for instance, as a, if you listen to the early recordings from the 20s, it's very different from what happened in mid-60s, late 60s to the 70s. It's a long way. And if you take it just one record from the 20s and one record from the 70s, it's hard to maybe understand they are really connected. But I think that's the development. And that's the beauty of food, I guess. Or the part I like is that it's always in a process. It's kind of important to you know, understand your own tradition and uh, knowledge in your own palate to kind of figure out the next culture's palate and what they have and try to figure out what's the thing <laughs> that made theirs. I think if you understand your own traditional cooking, it's going to be so much easier to understand someone else cooking and you can approach them kind of easy. Yeah, no, that makes, that makes sense. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes you need to just try and try and then you maybe get some things wrong. Then you need to ask people. But I think, and the thing is, more I learned when I went to university and learned the things I learned in the academic world made me understand and approach my personal and the tradition I come from in a better way. And then made me better observer and a creative to take things from others. Yeah. I hope so, at least. <laughs> now you've got me thinking about what my tradition or food tradition would be or what my palate that I come from would be. I, I'm trying to, it's kind of, it's kind of a hard question, isn't it? It's like a, yeah. I mean, for me, it's probably, I think it's influenced by hippie parents and a lot of experiments and back to the land and my parents having a great garden and, um, yeah, but what is it, what is it for you? I know you've got a Turkish influence and a Swedish influence. Um, is it, yeah. Is it easy and to describe your palate that you grew up with or that, that you come from? Yeah, it's in based on those two things. And I had a mother who had uh, lots of friends from different parts of the world, from like Sri Lanka. And, and I had a mother who was really open to the world. Right. So I, I come from this, that you should always try once. Then you can say what you think about it. You can't say anything before it you taste something. So you, I've learned because then I started to just try things and that made me more curious. I started to just eat and eat since I was a kid. Yeah. And that's a, a really important part of my palate, I guess. I think like in the ethnic perspective, it's like Turkish and Swedish and whatnot, but it's, I think the approach, like the technique my mother learned, learned me how to be open to to the world, I guess, was equally important. But, and having a lots of friends from like all over the world and a bunch of 
people who didn't eat things like had vegetarian friends and so on made it's very kind of mixed i guess one other thing i'm curious about is um speaking of being open to the world i know sweden there's this this value of cosmopolitanism but also this uh tension with a a right wing that's a anti-immigrant um just like we have here in the united states right now yeah does that play out in food culture or, or do you interact with that tension between like the culture that values an, a, a big world and the, and the right wing pushback on that? Um, does that play out in your practice as a chef? For me, sort of, not so much. I think I've been more kind of not reckless, but more uh, don't give a shit uh, because I really like to mix and my life is mixed with other people's culture. So I've been more eager to mix. I've been more eager to be very clear that my food is inspired about from my neighbors rather than cool chefs in New York. <laughs> and as I get inspired by having sitting on the subway and hearing language, I have no idea where they're from. And being so curious, and I think that's kind of fascinating here. You see these people, they're looking, you know, Chinese, Korean, but they talk some kind of Russian and, you know, and you start to see, I have, it's like 160 nationalities in my neighborhood and that stuff and the tension here, I start to think about it more and more and in my cooking as well. And the thing is, I use a lot of Swedish produce. And they are very much like, oh, we should be eating like Swedish food. And they have no idea what Swedish food is. And for me, has been, I've started to learn more about Swedish cooking as well. And I like some things that's like super typical Swedish. And from the north, we have a fermented fish that's like, if you translate, it's like sour herring, but it's really heavy. And then people in the north eat it. And when I started to eat it, I was vegan back then, but. It was like the thing that made me turn away from them, I guess. Because I really like the fermented food. Now, if nowadays, maybe I wouldn't turn away from veganism in that regard, because now I learned there's so much other stuff that's fermented, that's vegetables. But, and the thing is, I approach that cooking, because it's a long Swedish tradition, but I love it so much. And I think, as a Swede, I think I can, if I... This is the tricky part because I eat my this fish in a different way that they do. I eat with a different kind of bread, more Indian sort of chapati bread. But then I use chili sauce because the fermented food I like is often uh, very strong in chili and it's like kimchi and very Korean. So I was thinking that why can't I just do this fish in a way I like? And I think... Often when people with these tensions and the right wing, they, they just, they don't want to change or get influenced with the food they have here. And I think influences and dishes is just constantly changing. We have a dolma here in Sweden. People say it's very Swedish traditional, but it came with Turkish bankiers in the 18th century. So for me, it's been very much working with this, that Culture and food, certainly food, is very much about being influenced. 
and always in a constant mood. You're always, wherever you see or go, it always rubs you off something. And that makes people maybe not making these radical changes when they cook, when they've been somewhere, but there's always small kind of changes. And I think when I work, it's, I'm trying to just highlight that sometimes more and more. And I'm going to have a small workshop uh, this summer and talk about the new cuisine. And I think when you are a person who comes, you have parents from somewhere and you grew up in other place in like in Sweden and you're really connected to both. I think just that makes people kind of confused and, and you need to, and the right wings they don't like when it's mixed and when you're proud of both. Right. And the dilemma here, like in a bigger sense, when you see cooking, they see everything gets so stereotypical. You know, you, when they talk about food from Thailand, it's Pad Thai or it's whatever. And they talk about when it's food from Vietnam, it's just like spring rolls and fur and so on. And it's like you never dig. You never dig deeper. And I think that's very much here in Sweden. People just, it's very divided, very separate, and you have this small interaction, but then it's very adjusted to the other people. And there's very no, no kind of interactions. And that's a huge dilemma as I see it. And you don't see people from whatever China be, there are some few people, Chinese people, but who are skilled chefs and kind of proud of their culture and doing their thing here. But often people just adjust themselves really hard to, to Swedish society and just make something they think that people here like. I think that's a part of that too. And one right-wing politician said this thing about kebab. This guy, they were talking about some foods is where it comes from and influences and things. And he said like, yeah, but the kebab here, it's, it's Swedish. <laughs> and they were like, no. Yeah, it is. So this other guy says, oh, you mean, so it's assimilated. And the, the kebab we have here is very assimilated. It's very adjusted to the society here. And often food we do that. I think that's going to be problematic. Right. Of, of course, it's always adjusting, but in whose terms do the food adjust? Yeah. And I also hope that some of the food is also a secret way into a lot of, to the, like, uh, xenophobic psyche sometimes do you think it is or do you uh, do you hope it is yeah i think some it, it doesn't always work out that way right um for sure but no but sometimes it is and people have this you know yeah the things that said about you know people think that turkish food is few things and middle east is more than baklava it's and I think in how we see like their cultures, you know, and when the people talk about France, they talk about really wide and they are just having, they have both a peasant food and they have good street food and they have this fine dining food. It's, I think it's much about the view on the people you talk about. Right. And when you talk about some people, they just eat one thing. And I think that's the, what, what you think about them. Right. In a way. So, Ihan, 
I think, thanks so much for, for taking the time to talk to me. I just want to, before we go, I just want to ask, like, tell me a little bit more about this workshop you're teaching in the summer. And also, I, I've loved reading some of the things you've written. And it's where, where can people follow along with that? Or uh, where would you like people to come find you on the internet? I've written in aortatruth.com uh, some things. Then I'm working with this project called Aydin Varya. And it's, the website is aydinvargo.com. I'm going to do this workshop for a project called Underverk. This work with experience design. And the artist I work with, Josephine Varya, she's, she's one of the persons behind the project of Underweg and she's an experienced designer and this workshop the title is a new cuisine and what I'm exactly gonna do it's not set right now I'm working on it but it's basically because I start to see lots of people in my position who are either trained or going to a university but they're really connected to a tradition I see that in the US a lot Lots of Chinese and Korean descent kids or have parents from Korea or China. They went to restaurant school, did French cooking. Right. And now right. it's like, shit, we are more. I, can, I come from Chinese culture and we've been doing insanely advanced cooking for thousands of years. So, and yeah. So I'm trying to figure out to do something in that regard because I've been thinking about my own position right now. Uh, being really connected to an Italian cuisine that's so layered. You have both the uh, Ottoman and you have this modern Turkish and then you have really older things and you have the Kurdish cooking that's really dominant and all the Jewish and, and the Christian cooking as well and the Greek. So try to figure out and because and I the Swedish and modern cooking because my my cooking is very much created from Stockholm and I think there's lots of those things going on and try to make a workshop around that wow cool um, <laughs> yeah. yeah I want to come well <laughs> yeah I can't wait to actually come over there and taste some of these things you're cooking up and, and talk some more thanks so much for talking for an hour this has been great it was, thank you it was fun to talk Delicious Revolution is a show about food, culture, and place, made by Devin Sampson and me, Chelsea Wells. You can subscribe to Delicious Revolution on iTunes, SoundCloud, or any podcast app. And you can learn more at deliciousrevolutionshow.com. There we've got pictures and notes all about the interviews, and you can sign up for our monthly email. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter, too. Delicious Revolution.